Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. We're at the halfway point of the first Masters 1000 tournament of the year, the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells. And with that being the case, and in a change from normal, here for you the best bits from our reporter Jill Krabis, starting with when Jill spoke to tournament director Tommy Haas. Obviously, unfortunately, you couldn't play this event as tournament director, which I really wanted to last year. So since it is mine and I think many other players as well, one of the favorite stops, if not the favorite stop of the year, um, yeah, it's, it was a big learning curve for me last year to kind of go really behind the scenes. You know, there's so many moving parts, what it takes to, to run a tournament. Um, we're very blessed and very lucky to have such an amazing team here for so many years that take care of so many different things. But my role really as tournament director really is make sure that the players get what they want, that they are happy, that I can accommodate them as much as I can. Obviously, the sponsors as well, making sure that they get the best out of you know, their contribution to this tournament. And then the fans, really, you know, trying to collect a lot of data from the fans while they're here doing the event, while they're coming in, what we could do better, what they really like, what they would maybe like to see in the future. And then constantly just you know, having the little things to do as you know, tournament schedule, trying to find the right wild cards for the right players. Constantly something going on, the little things that we don't have to get into details, but they keep you very, very busy. Tickets requests as well. But, um, you know, we're just trying to find a way to just keep making this tournament, uh, if not the best tournament in the world. And talk a little bit about, because you just recently retired last year, so you still have a lot of relationships with the players on tour right now. How difficult is that to kind of separate that, your relationships with the players, and then be, being tournament director? Yeah, it's not easy. You know, if a request comes in here or there, you want to accommodate as much as you can, and you build a relationship with most of the players, and a lot of players also on the WTA side over the years that I've been traveling on tour. So, um, you know, you try to separate that as much as you can. Can't get emotionally too invested um, and you have to certain, you know, also follow certain rules that are in place. Um, but uh, overall still, you know, you try to make it uh, such a great experience for them as well. If it is with whatever they need, um, you know, we try to take care of. I think this tournament really does a great job of, you know, giving the player, um, you know, most of their, 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 what they're asking for. Um, and again, when you come here, actually, it's, it's, it's such a great place to, to play tennis. I mean, you look around, you see this facility, you see the surroundings. It's very tough to kind of have any excuses or, or, or things that are not going your way. But um, so it, it makes it pretty easy in that sense. Uh, you, you mentioned the beautiful surroundings and one of the most popular tournaments on the tour. It's won best tournament the last three years in a row. So coming in as tournament director with that, knowing that about this tournament, how difficult it is to, to step up the bar and, and just to progress and know what comes next for this tournament, just to keep getting better and better. Yeah, as you mentioned, that's sometimes a little bit of the tough part because I do try to have conversations with the players and get their feedback and see what we can do better. And most of the time it's just like, you know, we're so happy to be back here. It's one of our favorite destinations. Everything in this tournament is so well done. So it makes it a little bit of a challenge, and that's why I think it's very important to also get back to the fans, get back to the sponsors, see what we can do there, and just really internally talk to the team of uh, what we can do to really keep progressing this event. I mean, you have Stadium 1, Stadium 2 now with restaurants, some of the top chefs in the world come here to really give you the best food. So I think the overall fan experience here is just like none, you know, no other tournament really um, in my book. And, uh, and so it, it's always, you know, it's always about that. What is the next level? What is the next step? What we can, what we can improve on. So that's uh, a lot of work in itself. 
And I ran into James Blake a little bit earlier, and now he's the tournament director in Miami, which is next after this tournament. And also Feliciano Lopez is looking to be assistant tournament director in Madrid this year. How do you, do you feel like you've inspired these other players to get more involved so they can give their input for other tournaments throughout the calendar year? Well, I think it always helps, you know, to have sort of, you know, ex-players being involved in tennis in general. I mean, we see a lot of ex-players, you know, working out on TV, you know, have the knowledge, which is, which is obviously great. Um, you know, other tournament directors out there already and, you know, not maybe at the Masters 1000. Actually, Guy Forger was also tournament director, is tournament director in Paris indoors and the tournament director now at Roland Garros. You have uh, Richard Krejcik, tournament director in Rotterdam, Michael Steke, former player. So you have already some of those things, but I think it's going to maybe become more and more of a trend. I don't know if I necessarily start that, maybe at the Masters 1000, but I think it's, it's a great way of, um, you know, understanding the game, understanding where we come from, trying to accommodate everybody and then just get putting your input in and uh, you know the players appreciate that too I think when they do have a relationship with the tournament director as well so it makes things easier here and there but uh, it's really about a team you know the team effort of a tournament that is being run by and uh, you know I'm really happy and proud to be a part of this amazing team that has done an, such an incredible job over the years and uh, we do have great teamwork which is also different for a tennis player these days you know usually you're out there by yourself with your own team trying to compete go out there and win but now it's all about winning together and, uh, and continuing to, to grow this great event. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Well, I'm happy to say I'm joined by Jez Green, the fitness trainer of Sasha Zverev. Je- Jez, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to have you. No problem. Now, I know you've worked a long time with Andy Murray in the past, from 2006 to 2015, a little bit with Burdich as well, and now with Sasha Zverev since 2015. One thing that I'm curious about is, you know, you worked with Andy for so long and now with Sasha and their game styles are a little bit different, body types completely different. I know you have a specific routine for tennis players. Is there anything that changes when you think about the different players and the different strengths of the players? Yeah, a lot a lot changes. It, it's down to body type and, and personality as much as anything and also game style. So obviously Sasha is destined to be a pretty powerful, attacking, hopefully all-court kind of player. Uh, but he's six foot six at 15, 16 years old. That means coordination, movement, uh, protecting the body from injury is is your number one concern. And probably stability and injury prevention at that height is a, is is really difficult to do. Uh, Andy was much more robust, especially through the legs from young. He had like socket style legs and he had much more of a running defensive style game, which which served him very well. Um, So, yeah, then that you have to put much, much more stock in in Andy's defensive kind of movement skills and, and strength especially through the legs so it's, it's a completely different process it can be different games but the basic structure around the program to be fair is not that different because they're tennis players so the shapes they have to, to get good at are actually quite similar for Andy or Sasha but the way you get to these shapes is, is, a, is a different process also Andy I, I, I gave myself three years to build him uh, from Is 17, that from 18 the very years beginning? old, yeah, from okay. like 17, 18 years okay. old. I thought it'd take me till 21 to getting up to kind of Grand Slam winning kind of body, and I gave myself five with Sash. So I gave myself two extra years to build him and not to and not to rush. So that, that's interesting. That's actually a really good teaching skill for the younger ones that are coming up because you know I've worked with a few younger players that are trying to transition from juniors to pros and it, their mentality is all about wanting to have things happen quickly. Yes. You know, they want to see the success quickly and it's interesting to hear you say that you right away you gave the players 
a few years, mm. three and of course five for Sasha, for that long of a program, do you feel like that's a much more obviously way to go about it? Uh, it's a progression. Yeah, it, it, for me, I've been very fortunate. I've had incredible raw material. And to have someone young who can then go on to win Grand Slams and to actually be involved in that process was a huge privilege. But it also shows you what the standards are. So if you have a young player who, who's really talented and got a good team, but they want to win slams, then this is a very different conversation to have. And, and that's where you have to look long term. Very few people I've even seen are ready to win slams at 16, 17 years old, physically or mentally or anything. So if you've got a young player at 16, 17 and their aspiration and ambitions to win slams, then it's a very different process through. And you've got to say, think of it in terms of years. You know, and not, it can't be months. There's no chance. If you have a player who's, who's good, but they're probably going to be you know, a good pro up at like 80 to 120 in the world, then maybe you can speak a little bit more shorter term because you're not going to have need the body that is exceptional. But as we know, in the, in the female male game, the, 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 the athletes that win slams are nothing short of exceptional. And, and if you want to be exceptional, that, that, that's to speak in terms of years, that is for sure. Can you give us a little bit of example of maybe a structure that you might be giving Sasha, for example? I've noticed, I've watched in the last few years, I've noticed he used to be a lot um, slimmer and mm. he looks a lot stronger now, mm -hmm. a, lot more, a lot more balanced and sturdy. Can you give us an example of specific things that you've worked with him on in the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah, I can do the whole, almost the whole program is quite easy. Cool. Really. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm going to get at it's, it. <laughs> um, obviously, he, we, st we started when he was 16 and about 73 kilos. And, and interestingly, he he hit 90 kilos about two weeks ago. That was my goal so for the end of this year. So you do a, a lot of weighing in and yes. stuff? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm aim, and I mean to be sensible, I aim for four kilos of muscle a year. So I want the body fat to stay the same between eight and ten, something like that, uh, give or take. And I wanted four kilos of pure muscle a year. So now he's pretty much hit that. So he's put on, you know, 17 kilos of muscle in four years now. So which is, so now he's 90. That's now the kind of end product. But we started year one is, is postural, really easy. No all body weight control work, all postural, preparing the joints, injury prevention, very basic endurance work and basic lifting technique work, but no load. So lifting technique, constantly getting his shoulders in the right yeah. position, hips. And all the, all the basic squats. I believe in squatting and deadlifting, but, but perfect. I'm not interested in average. It's perfect. So you make the joints line up, you stabilize the joints, and then you put load through the joints when you're happy that they're stable. Year two, I could start to add load to these, these shapes, these lifts that he did. And actually, amazingly, he progressed faster than I thought. So even by the end of year two, he was lifting more weights with control than I thought he was. Year three has been real base strength, like real strength, like you see in the gyms, like you know, hypertrophy, trying to put weight on, significant lifting of squatting and deadlifting. And now we're in year five, I'm looking towards speed because I'm happy that he lifts way more than people think. I mean, he can pick up like 155 kilos off the floor on a deadlift, which if you know deadlifting is pretty significant. Yeah, no, yeah. It's six foot six. That is uh, very significant. And young. Yeah. So his ability to shift weight with good control is quite high now because he started young. So now I can look at speed. So it's literally, yeah. Postural control, stability, early stage weights, early stage endurance, moving on to real hypertrophy and now looking at speed. That, that's his five-year program. So, so when you get to the point where you're working on speed, mm. you're not completely 
not doing the strength no. and all this stuff. It's basically incorporating everything. Stays. Everything stays. Yeah. yeah, everything stays. Whatever you do has to stay. He does, he does at least an hour of stability posture work every single day. Every single day. That's what I do in the mornings, every day. Because he's still six foot six and he's still young. <laughs> so the joints still move. When he plays a tough match, his joints go out of line. And Hugo, the physio, will line him back up and look at mobility and then I'll put stability back through the joints. This, this is kind of like a, a lifestyle continuous thing. What you tend to do then is block out times of the year when you lift more and do more really heavy, like nasty speed endurance kind of work, the real heavy interval work and the real heavy lifting. Now now you block it in specifically in times of the year, maybe twice a year. You do real big blocks of it, like three, four weeks at a time. And because he's so versed in it, that those blocks are easy enough to maintain his strength through the year. That's it. So even here at the tournament when he's competing, mm. do you still do the hour every morning? Yes. Obviously, you do the hour every morning. Yes. Do you still, you don't do as much extensive stuff in the gym though, no. I would say. It's, no. It dep probably depends on how long his matches are yes. or days off or what, uh, and how he, is the tournament different from say like when you're just practicing? Yeah, you deload them and, and obviously he, this is a Masters, he, he's, he's done so well to get his ranking up. He's now playing the biggest tournaments every week. So uh, what I can't do now is take his energy the week before a tournament by lifting him or running him that that doesn't make sense he needs all his energy for the matches so in tournaments now i concern myself with with his stability his alignment and movement i'm a big big one on specific movement so so now i can work on specific movement steps that he uses return of serve or attacking the back and going forward and, and i do purely movement and balance kind of work leading up to a tournament to remind the body of what what, what movement shapes he need do you do a lot of like band work? So you can see I'm completely obsessed with this. I'm so fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do hours of. I mean, some people call it bungee work, where the, the the player's got a belt on, and I've got quite an extended long bungee cord. Uh, I do a lot of a lot of that on off on off like you know, split first step kind of work with that on. Take it off, do it again. It, it just keeps the players very very sharp leading up to a tournament and doesn't take their energy because it's a lactic it, you don't really produce lactic acid doing this kind of work that's the longer stuff so you can do loads of that and and by the get time they get on the court they feel sharper so that that's kind of what we do on the lead up to most tournaments these days if we have a couple of weeks i can load him a bit more and i can do maybe an, an interval or a lifting session uh, like the week before acapulco we got one lifting session in because it was a slightly smaller tournament and we were looking at indian world so you can play around with the schedule on on prioritizing certain tournaments to train a little harder up to the smaller tournaments perhaps because he's now looking at the bigger tournaments to compete in. Well especially like this the Indian Wells Miami back yeah. to back yeah. you know those four weeks are tough a lot of the times yeah. on the players. If, so. if, you're, if you're training hard physically through these two tournaments probably means you've done something wrong. <laughs> or, or you're on another you've got another thought about what you're almost sacrificing the tournament but yeah I mean if you come here to, to go deep in Indian Wells Miami you need to be fresh end of story so if you're training really hard close to your first match um, yeah, I think you're on a, you've got a different strategy, which I don't quite understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just talking a little bit more about you specifically, I know you've done some programs also for um, the USTA and also for Harvard yeah. University as far as their tennis programs. Have you done other sports or has tennis always been your passion? No, I'm still working out tennis. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I played, that was my sport. People don't probably don't know that, but I, I, I played sport to an okay level. I was, I would say I was like collegiate kind of standard. Well, so you're a very humble guy, so I'm I, sure you're I, way I, better I, than you're making it I out was, to be. I was okay, but it, but it's given me. I'm really lucky that I feel the sport, and I, and I've got a, I, for some reason, I've got a good eye on, on movement and posture and stuff like that. So I can, I can help people like that. But, 
yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's pretty much what I can do. And and the USTA and and Harvard, it was just fun to see if you can put a, a structure like a pro would have in a system because it's not easy because there's many players and how do you individualize and, and, and put a structure around an, an academy or an institution. It's a challenge and it was a quite an interesting challenge to see if that's, if that's possible to you know, increase the awareness and the standards of what, of what pro tennis players can do at the highest level within a system like Harvard of people who are really motivated to, to learn some new things and see if, see if it works in their, in, their pro, in their program. I don't know if it does or not. Uh, they said it's pretty good, but, I'm but, sure it's, but, it, but it's, it's an interesting th- concept to see if it actually works in, in, in a wider sphere rather than just with one individual player. And I also noticed that you came out with an app recently. Mm. When did that come out? Uh, last year. Last it took, year. took a couple of years to build. It came out last year. It's, it's quite early. a process, I know. Yeah. Oh, my word. It took <laughs> me, it took me yeah, it nearly, it nearly killed me to actually do it. So I did a lot of it myself, which I, thankfully I don't have to do anymore. Well, you probably uh, learned a lot, though. That's, that's pretty yeah, impressive. Think, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, I've realized that what I'm asking players to do is, is really, really, really <laughs> difficult, actually. So I shouldn't be so hard on them sometimes. But yeah, again, it was just a structure. I get asked about this a lot, and I find it fascinating, the process of building a player. I mean, I've, this is what I find fascinating. So to put it all down, and you can't help everybody all the time. You've got limited time. So to, to build that, I thought it was quite a, quite a fun thing to put down the philosophy in videos and maybe in, in one day help, a, again, a wider number of people with, with tennis-specific training because it seems to be a subject that people are quite interested in. And I think... Our sport, amazingly, is getting even more physical and dynamic. From Rod Raffer and Andy and, and the Williams sisters, they, they, they've you know they've changed the, the bar physically. So the young ones have got a, a real challenge, and so we've got to start younger. And we've got to start younger, better. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because from someone who's been around the tour for so long, just seeing the progression, the way the sport has gotten stronger and stronger, has that influenced how you've changed your program or your program? I know you, you trust it and you believe in it so much that it just works, but have there any been tweaks here and there to, to I guess, balance it out for where the game's going? Yeah, I, I think certain things have really been heightened. I think the I've learned a lot on, on, on postural control and stability kind of work. The movement stuff, I think, is solid, and strength work is strength work. I think everyone has to do it. I think that it's almost the two ends of the spectrum that, that has been really noticeable. One is the real, real basic postural control work that the that the players can do these days, and the other side of it is probably how long these guys can play a match and still be sprinting at the end. I think it's it, it's it's remarkable. I train these guys. I'm in disbelief on what Sash or Andy could do. They played four and a half hours and they're still sprinting for drop shots. I mean, it, it's it's incredible, whatever it is, speed endurance that they have that that is has to be respected and realised that it's only going to get more, you know. Uh, and these guys can last, and then they have one day off and they come back and do it again. It's like th- this is incredible feats of endurance and, and and control of the body, which is it, which yeah, I've definitely upped my standard awareness. That's okay. What I thought was good five, ten years ago is just now become normal normals now we've got to come exceptional and that's that that's what i've seen i mean that's what amazes me is because you're at the point where you know you just how can even get better yeah but it does and you know it will i say this every day i said i don't i don't know how what these guys are going to be doing in 10 years time it freaks me out a little bit because i know what they're going to be a part of it (laughs) yeah maybe yeah yeah and i'll have to learn again i'll have to go up another level of, of of thinking about it because i think yeah you're right i think the basic standards will kind of stay 
but somebody will come with something that's even more exceptional and and it's that area all have to be looked at and focused and you see what they're doing this is this is changing the the, the rules again a little bit i think the basic structure will stay i don't because i've not seen the basic stuff still works the real basic stuff will work forever but it's just the extremes will change that's what i see yep well, Jez, thank you so much for joining us. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, I could talk to you forever, really, <laughs> but um, I know you don't have a ton of time, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Pleasure. Always and a pleasure. All thank the best you. to Sasha and Misha, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. This is ATP Tennis Radio. Well, sitting now here in the Player Lounge, I'm delighted to say to be joined by Kathy May, the mother of ATP player Taylor Fritz. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. First of all, I'm going to start off with um, congratulating you on many of your successes on the tour. Three Grand Slam quarterfinalists, um, career high number 10 um, in the world in singles, four doubles titleists, two quarterfinals in doubles. So congratulations. It's great success on the tour. Um, also, I want to talk about, obviously, Taylor Fritz, your son. You have a lot of experience on the tour and something that you can bring to him, everything that you went through on the tour. How much are you involved in helping him deal with situations, um, get him through matches? Are you involved a ton in that? I'm not involved a lot. I do talk to him all the time, and I give him my input. Um, whether he listens to me or not is, you know, <laughs> iffy. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think, I think at some point he listens, and we just hired um, Paul Anacone to help out, and um, I think that's, it's already made a big difference, and they've just started. And um, Taylor, it's really hard for Taylor, I think, or any parent to try to coach their child and their child to really listen to him, especially if it's a mom, I think. Um, but I think Paul's going to really help out, and he will listen to everything he says and he's been there and done that and and uh, I think it's going to be a huge plus. Uh, Paul's had a lot of experience yeah. with a lot of players. How do you feel like in particular for Taylor he could be such a good asset for him? Well he uh, you know we have a vision of how Taylor should play and he has that same vision um, he's going to be a power player. He's he's going to have a big serve, big ground strokes. He's not going to be somebody that's going to sit back and rally with you. He's going to take advantage and be aggressive, and he sees the same thing. And, and that's kind of how he played, too. You know, he was he volleyed well. He served well. That's what I'm trying to get Taylor to try to come in more in his transition game. It really has to improve, and he's doing better. But I think Paul can really help him with that. And it's interesting you mentioned the transition game because there's been a lot of talk about the guys or the depth of the men's tennis is so good. And a lot of people are talking about how important for the next step that transition game is going to be. Is that somehow, is that something you feel like that's where the game is going to go? Yeah, I think it's, it's just tough, uh, I think, to win points, especially for Taylor. If he plays somebody in my opinion, that, that can run every ball down, which a lot of the players can now, and stay behind the baseline. Very difficult to end the point unless you come into the net and end the point. Um, so that's what I'm trying to, to work on him with. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he moves well for his size, but he's not the greatest mover, you know, compared to a lot of these other kids. And, and I think he's not going to be able to hit eight winners in a, in a point. To, to, it's too tough. 
he has to be able to come in. And just your experience on the tour um, from when you played to now, how do you feel like the tour has changed um, not only tennis, but just life in general, the amount of tournaments? How, how much has it changed from when you remember? I think people are playing a lot more now than when I played. I mean, I never played as many tournaments as Taylor's playing or would ever even want to. Like, what, like for example, what number? Like, how many would you play compared to how many I mean, I would play? never be gone more than... Except when I went to Europe, I would never play more than three tournaments in a row. That was, that was me. But I also enjoyed being home. You know, he seems to like life on the road. You know, it doesn't bother him. Um, you know, when I went to Europe, I was gone for seven weeks or so, and that was brutal. Um, but now, I mean, Taylor's gone for six weeks at a time, and that's normal. You know, and I keep saying, um, you know, you. you even though he's not tired, doesn't feel like he's tired, he's mentally tired. You do. You just wears on you. You know, and I think that's another thing that Paul's going to help him with is, is his schedule because I think he played too much last year, you know, and, and I think the players have to be very careful that they don't get hurt if they play too much, and, and there's way more injuries now than there were when I played. Do you feel like that has a lot to do with the fact that, um, you know, when you played, I think it, it seems to me that a lot of players were traveling by themselves. Yes. And nowadays there's so many people traveling with all the players, so they have that support group around them. And, and, and you would think at that point that, you know, just like you're saying, Paul's going to help him a lot with, like, cutting down on how many tournaments he's playing. But having, like, a ton of people around you might make you feel more comfortable being on the road a little bit longer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I felt like when I played, I traveled by myself if I would have had somebody. And it's very lonely. Um, if I would have had somebody traveling with me, I would have played a lot longer. I think it makes it more enjoyable. It's not as lonely. And... Um, it definitely makes a big difference. And then also just talk about this tournament in general. It's it's so nice for Taylor, for it being so close to home. He's got a lot of support here, a lot of friends and family come to watch him play. And I talked to him the other day, and he mentioned, you know, how, how great that was for him and how he thrived to have all the people here for him. Do you sense that with yes. him on the court? And, and and in his personality, just he just seem happier when he has all this support yes, around him. Yes, yeah, he really loves this tournament, and it's like a home tournament for him. He feels really comfortable here, and you know, throughout the juniors, he played a lot of tournaments here, so he likes the conditions, and he does have family. Um, his father's family, brother lives here, and lots of friends and stuff. So it's he's very comfortable here. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. I'm sitting here in the lunchroom now with Oliver Marac, uh, <laughs> right now number six in the world in doubles. Oliver, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. We really appreciate it. Now, did I say your name correctly? Almost. I mean, it's I can't basically, say it right. <laughs> well, in the States, you don't have to. I know when you tell me in Austria, you say Oliver Marac. But the CH, the it's a little bit Marach. difficult. Yeah, in the states, okay. I'm Marak. So okay. <laughs> all good. Got it. Okay, all good. Um, so we were just chatting a little bit, and you were telling me um, about how what a great season you've had so far. This 2018 season got to the finals of the Australian Open. It's been a really good m- month and a half for you leading into this Indian Wells tournament. Yeah. How are you feeling now? 38 years old, um, but still, almost. but st- almost 38 years old, but still going really strong. Yeah. And s- so far, a very successful year. How are you feeling? Feeling physically strong? Still have a lot ahead of you? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny with me because from last year on, last year I had already also a very good year with finals in Wimbledon, but I had my worst year in injuries. I was injured a lot. Um, we were running for the race 
uh, for London last year too and uh, I got injured in the Vienna tournament uh, in semi-final with my back and uh, then I uh, we got in in London as alternate team and we played a match also because the team retired and I come back home and I want to do my preseason in December and I got all December injured again with my back, so I didn't have one preseason. I, I hit two times tennis in the whole December, and I'm going to Doha without knowing even if I can play. I just went there because I know we have our physios there, and maybe they can help me. And I practice in Doha two days basically, and then I win the tournament without losing a set with Mate, which is I don't know a miracle or whatever, because uh, for me it was normally not possible. And then we fly right away to Auckland, it's a very long trip and we win this tournament too. So our goal was at that time we have to maintain our fitness, which is difficult. We have two, two weeks in a row winning, uh, traveling a lot and we were not 100% fit anymore, I have to say. So getting into Australia, we had a solid first round and then we were basically till the finals, we had like, I don't know, like I think three or two matches, seven, six in the third. Um, I was at the second match a little bit sick. I had fever and that was the hottest day in Australia with 55 degrees on the court. So that was very big struggling. But that's the advantage when you win a lot of matches that you have confidence and then in the important moments you you play better or we could raise the bar where other teams then were maybe thinking about it, you know, and then one, two points decide the match and there we were always strong, that's why I guess uh, we win that matches, these close matches. Um, in the semi-final we had a very tough match I mean, uh, against Schroff and McLagan, which is also a new doubles player coming up, which is a very good player. And uh, they deserve also to win the match, I have to say, because they had first a big chance at, uh, I think it was at, we were 3-4 down in the third set and uh, Struff had a very easy volley to go to a 5-3. And he missed that one, and then Mate told me after, let's let's win this game, then we win the match, and so it was like that. <laughs> but that's that's when you say when you have confidence, you know. And, uh, well, yeah. I think I think that has a lot to do with confidence. But do you think you know having to deal with those injuries and that sickness no. and stuff? Does that sort of take a little bit of pressure off, where maybe you know you're not expecting to do well, and then all of a sudden you get a little bit loose? Do yes, you think that sure. was maybe part of it? No, you're for sure right in that. Uh, I think also you focus more. Because, you know, let's say you have a little injury and then you focus on your first shots more. The concentration is higher, probably. Uh, with me, it's, I mean, I don't know if with the others, but with me, it's like that. Always when I have something, I play better. So, um, yeah, I mean, everybody has injuries on the tour. Right? There's not one player who has right. nothing. And, uh, and you have little ones and some deal better with injuries. Some can play with injuries, some not. So... Yeah, it's 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 a very tough sport, uh, which uh, asks a lot of from our body. But uh, yeah, you have to um, see that you can recover a lot, go to your physios, eat eat the right thing. That's also a very topic thing right now. That the I think maybe Djokovic started that a little bit with the gluten-free uh, diet that you eat more healthy in sport. Yeah, it seemed to kind yeah, of inspire of, other players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of players eat now gluten-free. They take care more what they eat, when they eat, and also... Are you gluten-free? Um, I started gluten-free since three, four years. 
I'm not completely gluten free because uh, it's it's also this is another it's a very mental thing. You have to be mentally strong to eat gluten free. Yeah. Because it's not so easy. I mean, um, if you used to have your your habits like sweets and all that, and to completely erase that, it's it's not easy for a tennis player. You have a sweet and, tooth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it's manageable. I mean, you can also in gluten-free you can eat sweets or something so you have a cheetah you they say uh, you can in the month you can eat twice or three times eat whatever you want yeah but uh, i think that's also a very important thing in the tennis right now because your recovery is getting is much better mm-hmm. in with this diet and uh yeah and then of course as i said when you have long matches ice bar physiotherapy eat right away after a match some stuff proteins because that's the most important thing are the first 20 minutes after match for your body that's the most uh, your cells are more open and if you eat after that right away your recovery time is 50% better as after so there's a lot some little things where you can it's amazing everything how much goes into it I mean people like you know fans and people that watch tennis they just think about the practice on the court and the the hours on the court and the matches but there's so much more that goes into it to be I mean the details of the players nowadays is just phenomenal it changed a lot I mean when I used to play I played till 2008 singles and and if I, I if I would play if I would practice and eat and the same like like they are what they do no it's no chance I survive in tennis I mean tennis got so much better faster you have with much better players in 2008 when I stopped I could say everybody had a weak side or a weak shot or I have to play this and nowadays everybody there's not really weak sides on, on I cannot say this guy's a bad forehand or backhand it's basically come up to some points important points mental part is of course the most important in tennis that has always been but then it's also I think fitness come really strong in front with the tennis because uh, if you look at the players they're much more fit as before so so for how much it's changed from when you mentioned in 2002 till now because the tennis is getting better and better how I mean for someone almost 38 years old um, how have you been been pushed to your limit and how have you been able to survive for so long because you have unbelievable longevity in your yeah. career but the fact that you've been having to get better and better at at almost 38 years old how have you managed to do it have you cut back on your work ethic have you increased it no I've increased it increased and it. I take also more care about it. I it's difficult to say for me right now in singles I stopped 2008 so um, they practice for sure unbelievable hard and I don't know, in, in practice, in singles practices, it's for me tough to say right now what they really increase in doubles. Still a lot of intensity in doubles, yeah, though. Yeah, in, in doubles, I think the speed increased a lot. And yeah. we have now also, we had the new rule, I think, uh, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, and when the singles players could start to play with the ranking. So they push us also to get better. Um, at the beginning, the singles guys, oh, they struggled a little bit with the volleys. Like they they don't basically singles guys they're very good in ground strokes but when they came to the net or when they played service volley they, they struggled a little bit so us doubles players we knew let's try to hit the net guy right away because if we have to play a rally from the back we most of the time lose the rally so that's where, where they push us to get better in rallies and we push them maybe also in the volley game so they nowadays you have a lot of also singles guys in front of the doubles ranking you see they play very well they improve their doubles game i think it also improved their singles game in that because uh, 
when you look on the tour sometimes the Spanish players they had an unbelievable ground game but when they had to come to the net they were struggling and now more and more not just Spanish guys but more and more people go also to the net and they see they have good groundies and get the easy wallet and they, they don't need a great wallet for that and they get the encouragement to go to the net that what they didn't have before. And that's interesting that you bring up the singles player playing doubles because yeah. it, it actually doesn't happen that often if you look at the whole calendar year. Yeah. But this event in particular, the Indian Wells tennis yeah. event, is is unique in that way where a lot of singles players exactly, do play yeah. doubles. Why do you think that is in, in this event in particular? Um, I always say it also depends on the schedule on the tennis player, on the tennis tournament. We have next week Miami, so we are in the States already. So um, it's it, I don't know why it's so strong. I can't tell you that really a lot of singles players as you mentioned they play here um, I guess also because Miami is already weaker if you look because then the, the American swing is over and then the players go back to Europe where are the other tournaments so I guess um, that that's most of the time it's, it's a travel issue that you have your, your tour finished and then you go to another continent where you play next week because singles players they have a really tough schedule and uh, um, when you look then in Europe also the other thousand events they are also super strong then like uh, Madrid or uh, Rome uh, the cut is also incredibly strong I mean um, when you have a, when you have your tour and you have a plan and it's the first week of a, of a thousand event, then you will find a lot of good singles players. The top top players, of course, they think they, they, they take care about it because the singles is their priority. So um, you will find sometimes a rougher playing doubles, but that's rarely maybe two times a year if you can. Uh, Roger, not really often, but then from I would say from top five six on to 20 something is going to play more and more and the price money is also higher now we have to say so that's also a, a big a big thing for the singles guys it's good money if you win it and especially here I think they, they put the bonus now here out so if a singles the guy bonus win, have a million dollars singles yeah. and doubles gets a million dollars which is uh, really just for wildcard for singles cookie, <laughs> a good cookie <laughs> if you do it so yeah, uh, yeah. It's good. So, but it's interesting. Um, one last question. I won't yeah, keep no you. I know you have things to do. But um, one last question is because I feel like when you when players do play doubles, mm -hmm. it does help their singles quite a bit. So it's interesting to hear that a lot of the top players don't usually play that much doubles, even though it help your singles. Do you yeah. think just because of how physical the game is that it's just gotten a lot more physical lately? Players getting a lot stronger. Matches but are longer. Yes, it's it's for sure a physical part. But I think that just. I think these top guys, honestly, they make enough money and then when they, when, I, I say the top 10, uh, when they play a doubles event, it's just if they want rather fun or they want to have a little practice, not for going for prize money or they, they don't care about that. Um, it probably would Im improve the game too, but it's, it's tough to say. That's, um, I think mainly this also decides then the coach from the top players if he plays singles and doubles. If you look at Dominic Team, um, Günther and his coach very well. Um, I think the year before, uh, last two years, I think he, he played like 80% of the doubles, singles and doubles every every. So it, it's crazy because he had a lot of singles matches, and then he played doubles next to it. I mean, that was unbelievable from him. Um, if I would be a coach of a top 10 guy, I would say, yeah, play maybe the 
I would say five to ten tournaments a year doubles because the priority is really in singles. Where is where's the big money too? And uh, when you have when you have time and you are not tired, and then why not put the doubles in and that's fine. I do want to ask you one more thing, yeah, yeah, sorry, because we were talking about your doubles match at Wimbledon last year. Okay. It was something that you remembered quite a bit. It was one of the best matches. Yeah, I was, was courtside. <laughs> I was watching that match. I was courtside, and it was such a thrilling match yeah. um, and such unbelievable high quality. And yes. I can see the smile on your face <laughs> no, now. No, let's what, not smile. Let's cry. There's oh, this no. little tear. <laughs> but it was a good match. But what, what no, are the memories okay. that you can take away uh, from that match? Because that was such a great match. Yeah, it was. I have to say... Of course, it hurt it that we lost that match, but to play it, I mean, it was sold out, the stadium. I don't know how many people are there, 18,000, I think, is in, the, in the stadium. And uh, the, to play in London is always a pleasure because they are really equal to people. There's not one side. I mean, okay, if you play Murray, maybe, uh, but the rest is, it was really a great atmosphere. And I think the people saw really one of the best doubles matches ever. It was like four and a half hours, great quality. There was not really boring games or anything. We had great rallies. And yeah, it was our first final, so maybe a little, um, I don't want to say disadvantage, but uh, like we would maybe go better in the match. Like we go, we go differently in the match in Australia, for example, in the final. We knew already what's coming and the Colombians was the first final. So, you know, it's... It was great to... How is it going? Hey, awesome. You want to... Well, we just been joined by hey, Dominic's team. Dominic, <laughs> tell, tell me. Come on, come on. Come share, join us. Share my support. <laughs> Dominic. Fellow Austrian. Hey, you see? They just say hello and they go away. I Unbelievable. Know. So let's... Quick interruption. Let's go back to the... <laughs> he has to eat. Wimbledon. He's busy. Yeah. Got to get some fuel. Yeah, go eat something. You're too thin. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a great experience. What we learned about... Um, I, if I can say it, that I always lose to Kubert with one or two points. <laughs> yeah, I said next time, and next time I'm gonna change my return side to make something different. Uh, we, I mean, we're good friends. We know each other very long. I played with Kubert, uh, Kubert for uh, I think four years. Davos. We were a great team, also we were top eight, and and we know each other very well. So it's always a big battle against him and it was a great match a lot of good of memories of course if you lose a match 11-13 in the fifth it hurts but uh, hopefully we can uh, come back this year have a good result in Wimbledon and maybe make it a little bit different uh, we'll, see. well I'm sure we'll all be cheering for you I mean Oliver thank you so much that was a lot of time you spent with yeah, us we really no appreciate worries. it best of luck here thank at New Wells we'll yeah. be rooting for yeah. you so <laughs> all you. the best and that's it from Jill and for the rest of the team for this week. But there'll be plenty more from everybody involved in ATP Tennis Radio as the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells continues. We'll see you soon.